And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute and I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Lads and Powers. This is Scott Powers with Mark Lazarus, both of The Athletic. Uh, here on the fine Monday morning after a Blackhawks win in Game 4. Uh, I got all those right. Like I, I keep on keeping look, looking back at the story, seeing if I have uh, the right day, the right game, the right. <laughs> um, you know, my daughter started school last week, so all of a sudden I know what day of the week it is every week. Nice. That hasn't happened in like five months. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, today's Monday. Oh yeah, the other day was Thursday. Okay, we got to do this on Thursday. Got to do this on Friday. I'm all, I'm all back on track now that school started. What? Uh, I, guess, I guess we'll talk some hockey. I, I'm just was another early. While we can, early. we might not be able to do it for much longer. <laughs> um. I, I guess I hadn't really thought. I mean, Corey Crawford was obviously amazing last night, but you know, we're, we're I, I think it was the most saves he's had in a in a playoff game. I hadn't thought about it in those terms just because it's not you know it's like it's the first round and they're probably still going to get knocked out. But statistically, it's probably his best performance in a Stanley Cup playoff game. Yeah, I mean, it's his most saves in regulation. Got to point that out. They had some triple overtime games over the years. But uh, he was just spectacular. I mean, I, I don't remember ever seeing the Blackhawks dominated to that extent and still win. We've seen Crawford steal games. We've seen the Blackhawks get blown out of the building. Remember that uh, Tampa Bay game a couple years ago where they had 33 shots or whatever it was in the second period alone? I mean, we've seen the Blackhawks look bad, but we've never seen them win looking that overmatched. Crawford was just spectacular. I think it was 14 high-danger chances that Vegas had, and he gave up one goal. One goal? 
Uh, it, it's just, it was an, a remarkable performance and a reminder of just how good he is. I mean, the guy had COVID-19 last month. Yeah, and he did that. I, 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 we always talk about how he's underappreciated, underrated, yada yada yada. But a game like that reminds you of just how good he is, what he's done in his career, and what he's still capable of, even at thirty-five years old. I find the whole irony of him being called underrated. All of this is that he's probably actually recognized more than he's like than any other great goalie because people people keep on saying that he's he's underrated. You know, like you wouldn't in bring Chicago. Up, yeah, I, I just I, I, I mean, I don't think he's ever. I guess when you look on paper that he probably hasn't been in a Vezina conversation in, in the season just because there have been other better goalies. But when it comes to the playoffs and comes to the clutch games and it comes to overall numbers and and certainly what the Blackhawks have become statistically with with the analytics, he, he's been at a different level. Um, but I, I don't. I feel like he's he's recognized now. You know, like I feel like a lot of people appreciate him because every time that he has a game like this, like you can see on Twitter nationally, locally, like. Corey Crawford's underappreciated, and I, I don't know if that's really the case anymore. You know, I, I, I think like he's he's getting his due and his recognition. Well, it's funny because like think of the Marion Hosa situation. For years, everyone in Chicago was like, "You guys aren't appreciating Marion Hosa in the national conversation. You're not understanding just how awesome he is because you don't see him every day." And then he got in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Everyone's like. Wait, was Marion Hosa a first ballot Hall of Famer? And everyone in Chicago is like, yes, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But you know, we're starting to see that with Crawford a little bit, where Chicago is getting so indignant that Crawford doesn't, that Chicago doesn't feel that Crawford gets the respect nationally, that they're screaming it so much that national guys like, all right, all right, Crawford's good, fine, whatever. <laughs> so I, I think some of it is that. I mean, let's not forget this is a guy who who pitched a shutout in a Stanley Cup Stanley Cup clinching game against the mighty Tampa Bay Lightning in 2015. The, the Blackhawks, that was a one nothing game almost the entire way through, and I'm looking it up right now. How many saves did he make? He made uh, 25 saves against a really good team in a cup-clinching scenario. This is a guy who's done this before. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised anymore, but given the situation, given the fact that he didn't wasn't on the ice basically for five months, he got a handful of practices before being thrown into the Edmonton series, for him to be this good this quickly... That deserves some extra over-the-top exaggeration and, rec- and, and commendation, I think. You know what's funny is that the Oilers actually had more high-danger chances in two of the games than, than Vegas did last night. Well, the problem is Crawford gave up a couple of bad goals. He's been, he's, he hasn't been that sharp in these playoffs. Against Edmonton, he gave up some. Against Vegas, he gave up a few also in the first two games. So there's one where they had 18. They had eight, I don't know if game this was eight. This was the, I think this is the last game. When they won three to two, so this sort of he had they had eighteen high danger chances, and that was the game yeah. the Blackhawks won three to two. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but the Blackhawks chose not to play defense against Edmonton <laughs> at all. Yeah, that's it, it worked. It was uh, it doesn't work <laughs> against Vegas so much. Um, it, it, it's weird because the numbers are, are what they are. I mean, they just they're they're pretty lopsided. I was looking at the series right now. It's uh. Uh, expected goals differential is uh, Vegas is at sixty five percent. So I, I mean, those are the numbers. But every game the Blackhawks have been in, at least in the third period, at some point, you know, like maybe they shouldn't have been, and um, and maybe yeah, I, I, obviously Vegas has owned this series. I mean, yesterday was the first time the Blackhawks even had a lead against them. But I feel like they they're competing, you know, like they're they're certainly. N- the worst team, like they're they're inferior, but they they've stayed in this series in their own way. Well, that's hockey, right? I mean, you look at Game Three, which went to overtime, and the Blackhawks hit how many posts? Patrick Kane missed a wide open net in the third period that he never misses. If just one of those pucks goes in, you know they win that game. They 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 deserved 
a better fate maybe in games two and game three. They deserved to lose like six to one last night and they won. Mm-hmm. They, Drake Ajula went right to the cliche. That's hockey. And he's right. That's hockey. Hockey's a dumb game where dumb things happen. And that's why we love it. But uh, these things tend to even out over the course of a series. We, I, I, you know, I said coming in that Crawford was going to steal a game. That's what he does. The question is, can they win another one? Can, do they need him to do that again? Or can, you know, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane uh, step up and do what they've done for the better part of a decade now and come through in the clutch? They need big names. We keep talking about Kirby Doc and Matthew Highmore and Oli Mata. These aren't the guys that are supposed to be carrying you offensively. It's supposed to be Taves, Kane, and, and to a lesser degree, Kubalik. We need these guys, or we, not me, either. they need these guys to step up and make a difference and start scoring some goals. Kane's got a lot of points this series, but he's got one goal in the entire postseason. He needs to be scoring, and he knows that better than anybody. He prides himself on being that money player. He's showtime, right? He, he has you know, fashioned an identity based on being the clutch guy. And so has Taves, and they're not doing it so far in this series. They need to be the ones stepping up. You can't be relying on Oli Mata and Matthew Highmore to do all the work for you. So I, I was digging in the, the series numbers today. Let, let, let's see. Uh, let me give you some trivia, see if you can uh, you can answer these things. Uh, oh so so who do you think has the highest Corsi percentage in this series for the oh, among the Blackhawks? Uh, Bobby, or I mean uh, uh, Oli Mata. Yeah. Hey. All right. uh, <laughs> uh, He's the, also the only one that has who's been on the ice more goals for than goals against, which is um, there are let's see, there's six players who haven't been on the ice for goals a goal four in five on five. We'll, 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 we'll make it uh, we'll make gotta, it four because we'll, we'll take out Bolquist and Carlson because they both sat games. But who who are the other four that haven't been on the ice for a single goal four? Sod, maybe Taves. Yep. Kubalik. Yep. yep. Uh, Strom. Nylander. Oh, it was close. But that, that I mean, you wrote, we wrote about it last night in our in our tape to tape, but that, that top line, it just as, as good as they were against Edmonton, it's been invisible this yeah. series. Like, it's... Um, what happened to Brandon Saad? What happened? This is this is a series Brandon Saad should be a huge factor in, and he's just nowhere to be found. Yeah, that... Uh, I, and Carlton's cut back their ice time, and... We haven't seen that Kubalik Taves Kane line much, and I'm I'm curious why. Like that was the line that was, like that that yeah, that was the line that you know didn't have a lot of time together during the regular season, but it exploded whenever it did. And fifteen to tried... five, they outshot the other guys. Fifteen to five together. Outscored. Yeah, they were they outscored the opponents fifteen to five together in limited time. Like they were gangbusters. Yeah, yeah, and we haven't seen much. Like he, he's gone. Carlton's gone. Sad. Taves, Kane, especially to start the game, and and then Kane ends up playing with everyone. It seems like, um, but yeah, I, I'm curious what adjustments you made because you can't. I don't think you can do that again, right? Like, like Dahan and Bocas were out there, and uh, poor poor Dahan was, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he just he had like five percent Corsi or whatever it was yesterday, crazy. And uh, he actually has the worst Corsi percentage of the entire series. He's at thirty three percent. I, I don't know how you put Nylander back out or, or you know, we, we talk about Boquist and, um, or even some of those line combination of deep pairings. I, I don't know. And, and maybe there's not a formula to fixing this, but you got to try something different because it can't be any worse than what it was, right? 
Right. Like, look, like I don't think that Jeremy Colleton has the horses to completely dramatically alter the course of the series. It's not like making putting Dylan Secura or Brandon Hagel in there or Lucas Carlson or even Nick Sealer. If you want that physical element, those aren't guys that are going to make the difference in the series. But you got to try something. I mean, that was an embarrassing effort last night, and it was funny to hear in the post game post game everyone's like, "Ah, oh, I didn't think we played that bad. Everything was kept to the outside." No, you got <laughs> run out of the building, and your goaltender was superhuman. That was a bad, yeah. bad game. That was by far the worst game they played in the series probably in this postseason you got to do something you got to shake up the lines you got to put in a secure or a hagel whether you sit nylander or um whoever you want to sit i don't care you got to put some new blood in there and you got to figure something out you have to change the system i mean maybe Oli mod is your top line right wing now i don't know but you got to do something to drastically alter what you, the, the the field because just if you just keep going to the well and you keep trotting out the same 12 guys in the same order i mean it's not working Vegas, Vegas is, I keep saying this now, they, they keep reminding me of those 2014 Kings where they were so big, so heavy, so physical on the forecheck, they just grinded you into a pulp. And that's what the Knights are doing right now, except those 2014 Blackhawks had the horses to keep up with it. These guys don't. So you got to try something different, get a spark from somebody. And I was, I was, I don't know, obviously injuries affected kind of organizational depth here because even Shaw and Zach Smith were, were in this mix and Seabrook yeah. certainly, but... The fact that he's not like he he gave Quinville you know the one game, but he, he's uh, Carlton obviously doesn't trust Hale and secure enough defensively. Carlson gets the one game; he wasn't great, but you don't really have any experienced players that even you know. I feel like in the past they've been able to you know you go to Rockford and, and you'd have someone and I, I like like out of those black aces, I like other than Carlson, I don't think he tried another defenseman. You know, I. I um, you know, Dennis Gilbert obviously being hurt and not being here would be an option. But, I mean, obviously Gilbert wasn't great in this season either. But, yeah, just having that experienced veteran guy, you know. Like they traded for Ian McCaution from Florida for uh, for Lexi Sorello, and that didn't work out. And uh, he, he actually had some initial experience with it, and he never got a look in this season. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like in the past they've had a couple of the older guys maybe where you can insert in. you got to throw Sheldon or, Brookbank out there. <laughs> yeah um, and maybe it doesn't change anything but it's just it's it's another option and you can sit a guy when he's not um and we when we, we wrote about this today too about just kind of balancing between getting the young guy experience and at the other you know at one point is a detrimental as well because i don't think like at the end of the regular season boquist was really good you know like he was starting to play you know with confidence with the puck and he was comfortable enough defensively and he was producing points and you know he doesn't have a single point in his entire uh, uh, series and possibly the postseason, um, and then Nylander I know doesn't have as a point in the entire playoffs, and he and he looked like he was a, you know I think the Blackhawks were sold on on him turning the corner even after this you know after the training camp and what they saw in the scrimmages and again that's kind of fool's gold you know like it was like when we saw Marco Dano on the top line in, in training <laughs> camp like it's just it's. Uh, Unless you put the physical element out there, you don't really get to see it. And, and I think it's a continuing lesson for myself, even maybe not to get put too much hype into a guy who's, who's killing it in scrimmages. But Against um, the Blackhawks B team, which was not the greatest uh, lineups out there. So. Yeah, but it was, it was, they were facing Taves' line, so you thought you thought maybe there's something there that, you know. But Here, Here's the thing with Boquist is I think his confidence is taking a big hit this playoffs no matter what. Like, he's not going to go out there in Game 5 and all of a sudden be awesome. He's shying away from contact. He is skitter, skittish in the corners. He sees the forecheck coming, and he's just cringing. He's getting out of the way. So, I, I mean, whether you play him or bench him, 
that confidence that he had in March is going to take a bit of a hit. And it's not, he's, he's 19 years old or 20 years old, whatever he is. He'll be fine in the long run. But I don't think benching him for game five is going to be some, you know, irredeemable hit to his confidence. I think you sit him because it's only getting worse being out there. He's realizing, oh my God, I'm in over my head right now. So if you put in a Carlson or anyone else out there that you've got, I think that's fine. I, I think I think you can. He's gotten his postseason experience. He's gotten a taste of okay. This is what I need to work on. This is what I need to be better at. You're at a point now where try to win the game. Don't you know you you you've got you've gotten your 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 eight games of experience and a, a ninth one's coming at least. Go try to get a tenth. Go try to win the game right now. That's that's the you've, you're at the point of the playoffs where it's not about experience anymore. It's about trying to win. And no, they're not going to win the series. But go try to win. The, the other thing I was thinking is that maybe you put Boquist and Nylander out there, but. If, if if you don't like what you're seeing, sit them. You know, like go down to five defensemen, go down to eleven forwards, cut off a line. You know, like it's. I, I know the rotation. Well, he's been doing. Carlton's been doing that. I mean, I, I know, but it's it's even in the first period. Like it was, you know, I don't think Nylander got a bunch of shifts. I mean, he was like four or five, five on five shifts, but it, every shift was about a minute long because they get pinned in. And and I saw some people saying, then why is you know why? Why is Nylander getting more five on five ice time than than Taves or whomever? And, and and it was just because every time they're out there, they're playing longer shifts. Like they weren't getting more shifts; it was just longer shifts because they get pinned in the defensive zone. So I I think they just it's it's more about pulling it back and willing to go to shorten your bench. And you know, Bolquist didn't play again in the last ten minutes of the game yesterday. Um, but I think it's something you need to go to quicker if if you just you don't see what you're liking because. Uh, as many as few shifts as, as those guys got yesterday, they were just—it was bad nearly every time they were out there. Yeah, I mean, I—I I, I haven't loved Jeremy Colleton's roster management in this series. Um, I, I don't like the way he's deploying some guys. I don't like the way he's giving guys too much leash. And uh, and, and you know, I mean, play Patrick Kane thirty-five minutes if you have to. I don't care. He can do it. You know, if you got it, like you said, if a guy's not going, don't play him. I mean, there's lots of little things that, you know, sat on the timeout at the end of game three. Jonathan Taves wasn't on the ice for the last minute because of that. Calvin DeHaan was on the ice for the final minute. I mean, none of that, a lot, a lot of what he's doing isn't making sense. He needs to be quicker on the hook with some of these guys. Um, we got to talk about Olimata a little bit here. Mm-hmm. You and I have been just assuming he's going to be bought out this summer forever now because he's got one of the few big contracts that's buyoutable. Two questions for you. Does the way he's playing, and this isn't some kind of fluke, he's playing really well. Like, it's not like, ha, 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 Olimata's scoring. Like, he's not going to be doing this forever, but he's playing a really solid all-around game. And he was down the stretch, too, in February and March. Does that change anything for you? Can it change anything for you? And at the very least, does he have trade value now where you might not have to buy him out? Yeah, that's a... Yeah. The problem is that his contracts, the way he's set up, like, it allows them to... Like he's one of the easier ones to buy out, right? And right. and and they're really going to be up against it. I you know someone had asked about the cap stuff, so I, I went back and pulled the story, you know, from last month or whatever. And it's without buying out Zach Smith and Olimata, like they're at like eight million dollars, <laughs> and that's the to, to resign, you know, Kubalik and Crawford and Strome and whoever else. But uh, so it's unrealistic. And Mata's contracts, you know, I haven't really dug into anyone else's contracts, and and maybe there's another option there, but. Yeah, it's going to look really strange. Like, if your best player in the playoffs, your best defenseman uh, is bought out, right? Like, it's he he, he has an element. Uh, he has a size element. They don't have a lot. I mean, I mean DeHaan and Murphy, all these guys are bigger. Um, but th- to replace him now with small defensemen and, and to, you know, to really 
go that route when you see you just see how the Blackhawks lack of size affects it. You know, like they're they're not winning pucks and uh, and you see what Vegas is doing and um, yeah, I I don't know if it changes anything. I I think I think it, they should have a conversation about it. I think it's worth exploring and wondering. From you know, obviously Mata struggled early on, but he also he was playing a lot with Seabrook early on too, and and you know certainly the latter half of the season, especially with Cuckoo, um, and now into the playoffs, he he's really been a different player, and um, it, it was interesting. You know, I had heard from people saying that you know he certainly can't skate, and there's some issues that it, you know takes him to get going, but there's more to his game offensively, and, the, and you know people felt like that he had some of this ability. Um, and, and, you know, the goal two games ago was lucky. But the play yesterday, like, he gets up on the play, he makes a really, uh, you know, smart backhanded no-look pass. And, you know, like we've seen a little bit more out of him, and he's pretty reliable. And, and, and you got to live with some of the, you know, like physically he just can't do some things. You know, like it, if, if he's caught flat-footed, it, it's over. But um, the numbers, you know, like there's a large enough sample size to say this is what the Blackhawks are hoping they'd get from him. And, and and you certainly have all these obstacles of the cap and all those things, but I, I think you need to talk about it at least, right? Like maybe maybe he does come back. It's funny, you know. We we uh, you know, the, the, at the start of the playoffs, he was like a laughing stock because of that time where Connor McDavid just undressed him going down the ice, and I think it was in Game Two on that spectacular goal he had where he was juggling the puck. And now here he is. It's almost like a joke the other way, where it's like, how is Olimati your best player right now? But he's he's been great. He's been really really good. Uh, and it's funny. I remember back when we did our uh, our our team player poll when we were going around asking guys to basically talk shit on their teammates and uh i i won't say who it was but i asked someone you know who the who's the best skater on the team and you're expecting to hear brandon saw drake kajula patrick kane someone like that and the answer i got from one guy was oli mata and i was like and i was like and i said I go, ha, 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 no seriously and he looked at me like i was, was the biggest it ass- no it was not oli mata but <laughs> i looked at he looked at me like i was the biggest asshole in the world he's like no i know he's not fast but you watch him play he's a really gifted skater like he's just as he's he's he has a way of even though he's kind of slow of, of of really kind of this graceful motion out there and he gave me this whole soliloquy about how oli mata is a better skater than he gets credit for it it's interesting because uh he is a better player. I mean, this is a guy who won two cups and was really good when he was healthy in Pittsburgh. He's not some scrub. He's not some number six or seven defenseman when healthy. And right now he's healthy. And since, you know, what, early February, late January, he's been arguably one of the two or three best defensemen on the team. So it is a tricky thing because you have to get rid of his contract. It's the only way forward. But maybe they can at least trade him now. Maybe maybe you can get some value for him. They gave up Dominic Cahoon, a perfectly serviceable middle six to, uh, forward for him. Maybe they can get someone like that in return. I, I guess the the hard part of that is that you know what the Blackhawks situation is, though, right? Like you, if you do any sort of research on Ali Mata, I'm sure if you Google his name now, like buyouts probably next to it, knowing the Blackhawks, <laughs> you know, like it's it's maybe you can get him for something cheap, but you also know that the Blackhawks are, it's sort of like the Nick Letty thing where, you know, like right. no one was willing to trade too much for Nick Letty because they knew the Blackhawks weren't going to re-sign him. Like, I wonder how much of that is in play here too, where I think anyone's, you know, anyone and everyone's going to play hardball with the Blackhawks this offseason, knowing that they need to get rid of assets to, to add anything or even bring back some of their players. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's probably been the biggest surprise of the playoffs, right? Like you didn't expect that. Even, you know, the other thing I thought was interesting was looking at the numbers that, you know, I, I felt like Strom's kind of been in that conversation with, 
Uh, probably some of the you know the, the younger guys have struggled, but he's uh, he's been all right. Well, yeah, he's he's actually been second in expected goals for percentage. Like it's uh, he had a bad Edmonton series. He was not he 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 he's picked it up. I think in this series, he he struggled against Edmonton though. And and I think when when that the Brink had Strom Nylander line has been together, it's really struggled. But when he's been away from that line, and, and certainly when they've been out there with Kane. Uh, you know, it's been pretty good. And, and I still see him creating chances. Like, he set up a pretty good look on the power play yesterday, and he, he hit the you know hit the crossbar in, in overtime. And, like, there's still chances happening. It's just um, – and, and these are all conversations later on, but I, I still – I'm curious where he fits in the future because he certainly has upside, and, and there's a lot of offense there. It's just does he fit into the Blackhawks' big-picture plans, you know? Well, he, he's an ideal third-line center in my mind because, again, we've talked about this a million times. When the Blackhawks were at their best, they had three scoring lines, and the fourth line was a legitimate checking line. This isn't the 1980s and 90s anymore. We only need two lines, and your third line's the checking line, and your fourth line's garbage. So if Kirby Doc's your number two, Dylan Strome's a great number three. The question is, are the Blackhawks willing to play hardball with him? They, all they have to do is qualify him which mm-hmm. is going to be like a million bucks next year. It's, like they don't have to sign him to some kind of bridge contract. They don't have to sign him to some three or four million a year uh, thing. His performance down the stretch when he was stuck on the wing and in this postseason has probably devalued him a little bit to the Blackhawks' favor. You could just qualify him. He's a restricted free agent with no rights. And the Blackhawks historically have not been willing to be kind of dicks. When yeah, it comes, you got to do it next year. Yeah, I mean, this is the summer to do it. You you have all the excuses in the world: flat cap, tight up against it. Got to sign Corey Crawford. Got to sign Dominic Kubalik. and Dylan Strome. He really likes it in Chicago. Like he had a very bad experience in Arizona. He was not happy there. He wasn't used well. He didn't like the situation at all. He got to Chicago and he was like, "Oh my God, this is what life in the NHL can be like." He's with his best friend Alex DeBrinket. He likes everyone on the team, and everyone on the team likes him. He's got a good role here. He plays a significant uh, role. He gets on the power play. He doesn't want to leave. I don't think he's going to sit there and sulk if he gets qualified or if he gets one point two five, one point five million, something like that. I think yeah. he'll take it and say, "Fine, I'm only twenty three years old. I'll get the big contract next time." He's not the kind of guy that's going to sit there and hold out or bitch about it. He wants to be in Chicago, and I think he's going to be willing to, you know, bite the bullet on that if it comes to it. He's a smart guy. He's one of those, like, future GM types. I guarantee you he's been on Cap Friendly a hundred times this year. He knows exactly what the Cap situation is. He, Debrinkit, and Kane probably talk about it for hours on end in the Players' Lounge in Edmonton. He knows the situation, and he knows that he's probably going to get stuck with not not the money he necessarily deserves based on the numbers he's produced. And I think he's the kind of guy, and I'm, 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 I'm projecting here onto him, but I really think he's the kind of guy that's going to say, you know what, fine, fuck it, I'll take that, and I'll just do, I'll get my money next time. He's a kid still. And I, I think, I mean, the Blackhawks need to convince him and Kubelik that this, well, one, I mean, some of the numbers are going to speak for themselves, but for any player that's entering free agency now, like, it's it just, it's, you're kind of fucked, you know? Like, it's. Yeah, Taylor, Taylor Hall's not getting $9 million this offseason. Yeah, like, it's just, it's, it's, sign as much of a bridge deal as possible and then hope in two years' time the league and the pandemic and the fans and everything's, you know, like, everything's back to normal and, and and you'll get paid, you know. And I, I'm more curious about how what Corey what Corey Crawford comes into it because you have a performance like that, and then you, you say, well, Corey, we're going to ask you to take two million dollars less, and you'll be you know well underpaid comparably to other league you know league goalies. And and, and you know the Blackhawks can sell being home and all those things, but it, it's never like they've ever given that hometown. Like no one's ever taken that. They paid Seabrook. They paid. 
They paid Sharp. I mean, they've all they paid everyone down the line, and then Corey Crawford is is going to be the necessary element because without Corey Crawford next year, uh, the Blackhawks are in a lot of trouble. So I, I'm I'm curious what those negotiations are going to be like too, where they're going to say, you know, we we understand your importance and you're vital to this team, but we want to pay you less money. I I, I hate to phrase it this way because it's not fair because it's the way of the world. Corey Crawford's made forty-seven million dollars in his Blackhawks career. Is he really going to nickel and dime them over another million or two just to, to go play somewhere where he doesn't know anybody and isn't that comfortable and isn't like you know a popular guy in the locker room? I, if anyone's going to give you the discount, it's going to be Crawford. But you're right; we've said this time and time again. We said it back in 2015 with Brandon Saad, then he was traded because his agent tried to play hardball. We've we, we always think there's going to be a hometown discount, and then Stan Bowman goes and outbids himself, and they give out too much money. But Corey Crawford has made a lot of money in the NHL. I don't think it's asking too much for them to say, look, you've been with us for 15 years. We've been pretty good to you. We, we, you know, we stood by you and we helped, you know, during your concussion, we didn't rush you back. You know, maybe this is the, uh, throw us a bone and you take a $4 million one or two year deal. Could you do that for us? I don't think that's out of the question. No, but I, I, I still think it's, yeah, it's, it's in his right to play a little hardball with them. Oh, too, no question. Know? He deserves more than that. He absolutely deserves more than that. But also Corey Crawford at this stage of his career, he wants to win a Stanley cup, right? That's all these old guys, you know, Duncan Keith, they, they don't care about the money at this point. They want to win a Stanley Cup. And you have Corey Crawford is smart enough to know that if he takes $6 million, the Blackhawks are dead in the water. Yeah. He knows they need that money. You see that in the NBA sometimes or in the NFL where guys will restructure their deals in order to make more, you know, defer money and stuff like that to, to, to improve the team's quality. You can't do that in the NHL, but this is a chance for Crawford to do a little bit of that because he is a UFA and can take whatever he wants to take. I wonder if there was an option, like if you went to, like if that option was possible, then you went to Canon Taze right now. Like, would you, would you restructure your contract to give you a better chance at winning a Stanley Cup right now? It'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? I, th- I yeah. think, I think they would. I really do. Yeah, no, I think they've they got would. a lot of money. Those guys, they're not hurting. I don't think they're having as much fun when it's like this, you know. No, they want. They, they, it's exactly right. I think in 2016 or 2017 they wouldn't have. But in 2020, after three years of kind of walking in the wilderness, yeah, I think Taze would say, "Knock me down to seven. <laughs> yeah. They're doing uh, fine. They got those. Uh, they got those Chevy commercials. Drive with drive with Kane and Taves drive. They're not oh. driving Chevys. <laughs> um, we gotta get a couple of car dealership sponsors for ourselves. Seriously, my my lease is up. I need a. Can we get a Mazda dealership? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a new car myself now. <laughs> it was interesting going for a test drive the other day. Just. Uh, I was like, you know, like you're just paranoid about the whole time. Like, is this even smart for me being in this car with this other person? I'm moving during a pandemic. I had to go buy a house and have 20 people looking at my own house. This has been very strange. Everything's weird. (laughs) Um, Well, we get we got another game, and then uh, and then we'll see where we're at. And um, I guess depending on that, we'll see where our next podcast is at too. Um, but we got we got some interesting stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have some more post game analysis, and then if the season does end, I'm sure um, we have a lot of uh, post season stuff too. So love a good post mortem story. Yeah, we'll uh, unfortunately we got another late game. So if you if you stay up until four a.m. tomorrow, we'll have a story up. So <laughs> fucking nine thirty starts. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, good. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you. soon and continue to enjoy our coverage and we'll continue to bring it so uh for mark lazarus i'm scott powers and this is Laz and powers see ya i can help even just a little bit won't you let me try
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.